0: This is episode number 335 with AI entrepreneur, Rico Meinl. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today, and now let's make the complex simple. This episode is brought to you by Blue Life AI, our very own consulting and now corporate training company. If you're enjoying our online training programs in machine learning, Python, visualization, Tableau, artificial intelligence, data mining, and all these other amazing areas of data science, then now you can actually send a request for us to come into your company and train up your whole So at Blue Life AI, we provide training services where we can come in and train up your whole team in a specific area or in a specific tool set so that you are all on the same page and that your company progresses forward. Our team of trainers, including myself and Adlan and numerous other experts, cover off areas from R to Python, from machine learning to artificial intelligence to computer vision to Tableau to Power BI to Amazon Web Services to data mining SQL and many many more tools and areas of data science that you might need expertise in that you might want to train up your team in so we're very happy to come in and guide and train up your team and also not only do we provide corporate training in the technical space but we also provide executive training so if you need help understanding how data science can be applied in your business what artificial intelligence is and how it's disrupting your industry then we're happy to help with that as well. To connect with us and discuss your training needs and what solutions we could provide for your company, head on over to bluelife.ai, that's one word, bluelife.ai, and send us a request there, and we'll be happy to connect and take it forward from there. On that note, let's jump straight back into the podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. How is everybody going? It is crazy. It is already Quarter to eight in Australia, almost quarter to eight. And I just finished recording a podcast with Rico. This went way over. You probably can tell from the length of the audio file that this is a long podcast, one of our longest ones, but it was so well worth it. We just got into so much chat- chatting and we got so carried away talking about AI startups. It just like blew my mind, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. So, Rico, for those of you who don't know, Rico was on the podcast back in uh, January 2018, so exactly two years ago, from when you're listening to this audio, it's almost exactly two years ago, and yeah, since then, his career has taken him in very interesting places, so that was episode number 123, if you're interested, and uh, Rico like we met at DataSense Go, then he came on a podcast and he actually spoke at DataSense Go in 2018. And he's since then, he's started a startup. He's gone like in different countries from Germany to Amsterdam to LA. Uh, He's moved, uh, he's pivoted his strategy or they've pivoted their strategy many times, done lots of things. And ultimately, the startup failed. And unlike most people, I guess, who in this situation would try not to like make that very public and vocalize it and talk about, it. Rico actually reached out to me and said, hey Kirill, can I come on the podcast? Let's let's do a podcast together and let's talk about this failure. Let's talk about the lessons that I learned from it because I want to help people. I want to help other data scientists out there. We're thinking of starting an AI startup to avoid those same mistakes and to learn from my experience. And that was so cool. That's why this chat went on for so long. So here are cu- a couple of things that you will hear Uh, in this podcast. Uh, How to find out your customer needs, uh, coming up with AI product ideas, B2B versus B2C, uh, to start up or not to start up. When, When is the right time? When is the right decision to impact the world through a startup? And when is it better to do it through another company? And then we spoke about the five lessons, the five top lessons that Rico learned from his startup experience. Just bear in mind that it takes us some time to get into the flow between maybe the first 10 to 20 minutes uh, to really get the conversation going. But after that, Mark, I'm sure just like us, you'll settle into it and enjoy the ride. So without further ado, I bring to you for the second time around on the Super Data Science podcast, AI entrepreneur, Rico Meinl. Welcome back to the Super SuperdaySense podcast, ladies and gentlemen, super pumped to bring you for the second time around our returning guest, one of our favorites, Rico Meinl. Rico, how are you going today?
1: I'm, I'm doing very well, thank
0: you. Very cool. I, I'm getting you just woke up and you're calling, as you said, quote unquote, from the middle of nowhere in a <laughs> part of Germany. Uh, how did you end up yeah. there?
1: Uh, How did I end up back
0: here? (laughs) Yeah, back here. Um, You were like all over the place for the past couple of years.
1: Yeah, when uh, I guess the last time was like two years ago that we talked.
0: The podcast? Well, we talked in Data Science Go like a few months ago, but the podcast was, yeah, man. It was exactly two years or one years ago? I think it was two years because it was before your DSGO 2018 talk, right?
2: Right. Yeah. That's
0: crazy. Interesting, man. Time
1: flies.
0: That's crazy.
1: Yeah, yeah, so like what um I mean so in that same year, let's take it back. So like we talked in January the first podcast, and then in um Data Science Go was in November October or November that year. Oh, um
0: that year I think it was October.
1: October, right. Mm-hmm. So when we when we came back, actually like after Data Science Go, we were doing this um Uh, like quick project I had um at Richard's um company oh yeah you went to Tasmania yeah which is great because I've never been to Australia before it was super interesting experience yeah and um so after we came back I started um a startup with um like uh one of my friends which I met in the summer in Hamburg he was back then he was working at a retail store because um, he was really passionate about like the whole fashion, fashion tech space. He also has a tech background, and um, so we had met up for like dinner a couple times and chatted about the idea, like just generally chatted about AI because he was interested in that. Um, and then we we joined forces after days and go, mm-hmm. and started Dresswell. Visually um, started in January, but you started starting, to
0: dress well. No. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And the name is pun intended. No, the company was the company was called. uh, The startup was called Dresswell.
2: Yeah.
0: So to summarize, you came to Data Science Go in uh, 2017. It was November, October, or November. Then you went back to Germany, and then you came on the podcast in January 2018, and then in November or um, October 2018, you came back to Data Science Go as a speaker
1: that is correct and like so like the, the thing that really so fascinates me is um so like um back then i was um i was like doing your guys's udemy courses because i was like um i think it was, i was studying computer science in like third semester or something and i just started to like uh hear about all the like things about data science and I, I think I read somewhere that like AI is kind of like the holy grail of computer science. So I was intrigued to like learn more about like how to implement it and what you can do with it these days. Um, so I was doing a Udemy courses and I think I like I got, I got an email one day from you saying that you're going to host this data science conference. And I was like, oh man, like that would be amazing <laughs> to go because it'll like really accelerate me uh, with with my career in AI if I meet someone there. And like looking at the speakers lineup, I was like, man, if I, if I would like meet one one person, that would already be worth the investment. Because it was like I was a student back then, so it was it was um, not really feasible to just like fly over to the US for a weekend uh, to go to the conference. But then like I, I essentially like raised the money from the company I, I worked at and from my school to be able to to attend the conference.
0: <laughs> That's crazy, man.
1: <laughs> and um, like. <laughs> like I always say like if, if I would have met one person and I think at that conference I I mean I met you, I met Hadlan um had a pretty long conversation with Ben. Ben Taylor. Met Richard. Ben Taylor, yeah. Richard Hopkins. Um and it's just like amazing how like how much got initiated through that one conference. Like Ben, uh, I'm so sort of, like through the conference, I was inspired to start the AI Meetup because when I when I was going back to Hamburg, I really wanted to have something like the conference to be able to connect with like people who are trying to pursue that same career path, who are also in uh, working in data science, working with AI. Um, and when I came back to Hamburg and I looked up on this platform called meetup.com, there was just like nothing. Um, like there was no meetup for AI in mm. Hamburg mm. by that time. Um, and, and also like back then I was um, I was thinking about implement like starting an AI lab at the company I was working at, Novomind so I asked Ben for advice like how to approach the executive team about it um, and he gave me like a lot of tips uh, how to approach them and that like really gave me the confidence to like after the conference go and approach them. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of stuff that like got initiated at the conference and that's still, like still fascinating for me to see how that was like a um like a rolling
0: like mentality. it all all like happened, a, you know, like you put it all in motion just by attending that one event. But like I don't understand man exactly how did you raise the money? That's crazy. How do you convince your company and uh, your university to pay for you to fly from Germany to San Diego for one weekend to attend a data science event. That's that like just doesn't. It's, it's very <laughs> impressive how you did that. I want to know more.
1: I mean, the funny thing was my school. Um, we, I don't think they they didn't used to have PhD programs. Now they are starting to like have some of them. Um, but they had this offer that when you're a research student and you wanna attend a research conference, they would essentially pay for it. So I kinda like flipped that story and told them it was not a research conference, I'm not a research student, <laughs> but um, it, it's, it's still a conference and there's there's budget for sending people out to these conferences and it's obviously not like well used if there's no PhD programs. Um, Mm-hmm. And I, I knew there was not a lot of people going to these conferences, so I was able to like convince them to uh take over some of it. And then my company, like I, because I was, I, I talked to them about the idea for the AI lab yeah. before and they were intrigued. And I thought like going to these conferences would like help, like help me be able to set it up.
0: And it did, and, uh, right? You came back yeah, and you set it, it up.
1: It so it was a good return on investment. <laughs> That's
0: epic, man. That's epic. So yeah. what was it? So it, in a nutshell, it was worth it to fly there for two days and go back.
1: It it was worth it, yeah. Nice. And and like, I, I would really encourage people to do um, that, like to take these chances, even though the like probability might be low that you might meet someone that changed your life. Obviously, it doesn't really happen. Like I went to different conference afterwards, and oh, like it didn't it didn't change my life in the same way. But I mean, there's such a like such a low risk associated with it and if you might like just go out and ask people to fund you for example there's no like downside to it yeah but the risk that like the, the, the chance of like actually meeting that one person is pretty
2: it's like,
0: interesting what, would you say there's something something different about data science Go, or do you think it's just like just because it was your first conference it had such a massive impact or it was just a random thing like what why do you think you felt the difference at our event and not at other events Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) so like now actually um i think part of it is that um being a novice at conferences Uh um i i like i was just like really excited to to see what it's like yeah uh now that i've been to different industry conferences i would say that most conferences are not that beneficial yeah actually so like now when i like for example i was in at a conference an ai conference in berlin last week just to catch up with some people and there was a conference happening uh nico my friend from berlin was organizing one of the workshops there so he got me a free ticket but it was just like not like now when i attend conference i don't expect like much to come from there yeah um but like back then i was expecting a lot i was like oh man conference are like these amazing place where you meet all these people and there's so much opportunity. And you I were guess hyped that was up. You were like, you have, I was hyped up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I see what you to mean. I
1: connect with everyone and, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, very cool, man. Um, but thank you for keeping, uh, for that you keep coming back. You know, you've been Data Science Go 17, 18 as a speaker, 19 you came back. So, very, very excited to have you every time. It's really cool.
2: Yeah.
0: You're like one of and our Veterans. <laughs> <laughs>
1: there's a couple of people that were there this year that were there uh all three years that's yeah. amazing right? yeah
0: we have a, we have all well, i think a dozen people who've come back all three years it's pretty cool
2: yeah
0: it's pretty cool and but speaking of uh berlin germany rico it's so cool it's so cute how you guys call each other rico and nico <laughs> <laughs> his full name is nicholas what's your full name is it what do you is it just rico or you have a full a longer name
1: it is just rico
0: just rico okay well you've
1: asked me that all the time I, <laughs> it's but, just rico nice
0: but, yeah nice but yeah speaking of germany so nicholas thanks all for the introduction um nicholas as you know is helping us set up data science go in europe and this is gonna be epic news it's an exclusive update to podcast listeners we are Uh, like working on bringing data science go to europe it's going to be epic so i can't say more at this stage because i don't know by the time this podcast goes out if it will be announced yet or not but look out for it it will be announced very soon if it hasn't yet you excited
1: yeah i'm super excited and like uh let me say this so so nico is like in person like when we're in like meeting people and talking about he's really shy about it but like he was the one that essentially got meetup ai in berlin to like grow from essentially from nothing to like over two thousand members within like less than a year
2: that's crazy um
1: and he 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 was the one that like made it made it super big and yeah i'm I'm super excited when he's the one that's uh helping you guys also set it up
0: yeah no that's cool that's cool man um so yeah so that would be cool to have you there. But apart from that, so let's let's shift gears. We, we've we been talking about conferences, Data Science Go. Um, last time I uh, spoke to you was in um, San Diego for Data Science Go 2019. It was, what it was it, September, September 2019, so a few months ago. And you were like, you had already moved to LA to do this startup. Tell us more about dress well what was going on there
1: right so i mean we yeah like so the the short story we started in november i I think i said that before but like i I locked myself in my room for two months reading research papers to because essentially like the the high level pitches we were for people who have trouble finding clothes that fit well we we built an app or like an algorithm that you can use, like you on your phone, to take your body measurements and then find perfect fitting clothes. And we started only with uh, jeans, so we that algorithm I we developed in November, December, and in January, and then all over the time, like we uh, collected data and made it better and stuff. But um, in April. 2019 we moved to Amsterdam because we uh got in touch with two jeans brands there in like in like Europe Amsterdam is the biggest uh, place for like fashion uh, for for denim fashion um, mm-hmm. and we then started to reach out to like all these big online retailers over the summer um, and essentially start switch to pivoted to B2C um in august and then we moved to la which is funny because like initially we came to la just to like meet with a lot of these jeans brands because they're all located in la but then like uh, like four weeks turned into three months and we completely like pivoted to b2c and um
2: yeah b2c
0: meaning for customers for consumers
1: yeah yes yes yes
0: okay okay interesting but originally you were going to sell it to companies like a service we were going
1: to sell it Exactly. Yeah, we were going to sell it as a plug-in to like the Nordstrom's uh SAPOS. Uh-huh.
0: Interesting. All these online retailers. Okay. And so tell us more like how why was this an AI startup? Sounds like a sounds like a fashion thing.
1: Yeah, so like the the algorithm that um we used to take people's body measurements was like um we tried a full on like a full deep learning model to implement that, but we ended up with um uh like a human in the loop plus machine learning approach so and and, and that was like like because i recently wrote uh because we put the startup on hold and i recently uh like wrote down some of my learnings and that was like one of the learnings that when we when like in november and december when i was reading all these research papers and like trying to understand how we could use ai to get people's body measurements um I mean, it, it was, that was, that was a lot. That, that was a steep learning curve to like be able to read and understand these papers and then implement them into production. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess like also for, for the usability because um, unless we would have collected all the data for the edge cases that uh, we had for the app, like if you're turned a little bit too much to the side, or if you have weird objects in your, uh, in your image, we didn't really want people to deal with um, like having bad measurements. So we had a human in the loop that like checked if the AI predicted the right key points and the right like segments in the image. And if it didn't, it would, he would manually correct it. Mm-hmm.
0: Very interesting. So using machine learning to predict our AI to predict measurements, having also a human in the loop. Um, yeah okay so that first of all why why that idea there's so many things you could be doing with ai why why did you see that there is a need that you know you can help the just people with to find better clothes why did you pick that specific idea
1: Uh, okay so like the so the bigger the bigger vision that he i mean started with and i really like bought into was that um there's a huge like inequality in the world that when you're like you were raised by parents that either had the money or that like knew how to dress really well and taught you or just like in different sectors in the world you just have an advantage in life because we all like subconsciously judge people by the way they look even though we might not want to admit it but like we all do so Mm -hmm. our essentially like Like first
0: impressions right
1: exactly yeah like the Mm -hmm. like if if you meet someone and he has like a a sweatpants at a conference you're not gonna like talk to him the same way as i'm
0: i'm terrible at dressing like i always need help with this stuff (laughs) (laughs) i would be one of the first people to buy a thing like i i'm very bad at matching colors or even just picking out proper clothes yeah i see i can see i can see that okay
1: yeah so like the um so then he like after the first startup um like uh, didn't work out he he moved back to Germany because I think they had it in New York and then he moved back to Germany because he has family in Hamburg and he started working in like a retail store to like understand the customer need and I thought that was really inspiring because like if someone has that much passion for a project to be able to essentially like when you're a tech person you have all these career options these days, um, high paying career options too and then you Because you have so much passion for your project, you go back working as a salesperson in a retail store, um, taking a like, lower salary than you could have gotten anywhere else. Uh, I thought that was really inspiring. And uh, he did that just to like connect with customers and like learn what their needs are ah. in
2: this space. Uh,
0: so he, like, he's in tech, he could technically have a really cool high-paid job, but instead he chose to go to retail to understand the needs of the customers.
1: Right. Right. Like it's, it's, it's funny because, um, Uber, so Uber Ease had that, like when Uber started Uber Ease or I don't know if they took it over, but, um, they had people working in restaurants before they started working on the product. Mm. Um, and I, I mean like now I think that's, a, that's really the way to go. If you want to break into an industry, like go down to the very lowest, level, where you can talk to the customers and like really understand what they, what they need. Um, but like essentially he 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 saw that a lot of men because he was working in the men's section, first suits and then jeans had a problem of like finding stuff that fits them really well. And that was like the like usually the first um, the first problem. And I mean, like one thing we learned later was that style is a huge factor too, and we mm-hmm. kind of like didn't really take that into account because so there's the thing like when you go shopping somewhere you go shopping there because you already know they will sell a certain style for example if someone goes to nordstrom um of course he has problems trying to find stuff that fits well but he already made the decision like what kind of style he's looking for when he goes to nordstrom because they sell Mm -hmm. to a very certain segment right um and that we kind of like also didn't uh take into account that much but there was a lot of men that had trouble finding jeans, and like like you just said, like men usually don't like to spend their time or like deal a lot with like finding stuff that fits them well. So they would just come and be like, "Find me something that fits good," and he would give them a couple of jeans, and they would be so happy with the service if they found something that they love, and they would come back. So we thought like, how can we bring this online? Because like right now, online shopping I think is fundamentally lot that there's like these huge returns for example on jeans like 60% return rates Um, so it's a big struggle for the online retailers Um, it's funny because I think in America it's you have to pay essentially like before you have to you have to pay with a credit card or a bank account before you order something at like a Nordstrom
2: but Hmm. in Germany
1: you don't even have to pay before you can just put it on a bill and only pay for what you keep so if I would order like a Zalando here I could order like ten pairs of jeans, don't pay anything, and if I don't like them, I'll just send them back.
0: Mm. So there's like And then yeah, you just pay for what you keep.
1: Yeah, and if I don't keep anything, I don't pay any, like I don't pay anything.
0: Very yeah. interesting. And that's I mean, very like, cool. That's
1: bad. Like that's, that's bad for the environment, that's bad for the mm. customer. Um because you have to walk to the post post office and send it back. I think now they even like uh actually drive to your house and pick it up. Like that's how far it has come. Um mm. But yeah, so we just like we thought how we could bring this online, and the idea was to like build this measurement tool that people could use to measure themselves, and then we would essentially recommend them the perfect size, the perfect fit, and then they wouldn't have to send it back.
2: Hmm.
0: Hmm. Fantastic. So that's that's the idea. Okay. Um. Did you see that thing I sent you? Or I? Uh, I'm sure you saw saw it before. The algorithms tour by Stitch Fix.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So like, does, is that similar to what Stitch Fix does?
1: Um, I mean, the B2B product we try, like we tried to create in the beginning was not similar because Stitch Fix has a massive questionnaire of about, I think like 10, uh, pages where you just like fill out like your whole style profile. And what we were trying to do is, you don't have to fill out anything about your style. You would just do the measurements, and we would just do the math between like the um, the jeans dimensions and your body dimensions, and then be able to recommend you what fits you best.
0: Okay, gotcha.
1: Uh, and and Stitchfix goes more from a style perspective, which we then right. with the B to C product try to attack as well.
0: So let's keep walking through this. This is very interesting. November two thousand eighteen. You sit down in LA. You lock yourself in your apartment for two months, that and you're Hamburg's going through. Also oh, in Hamburg, yeah. Uh, you're going through all these research papers on how scientists or machine learning, um, AI, has been used or proposed to be used to detect people's measurements from images. Exactly. What happens next?
1: Um. So that's <laughs> actually like what i did I, I connected to all these authors of the papers before like reading them because what i found was that especially also in research and and i might be wrong because this this might be only for our specific field but a lot of this stuff is like oversold too, because i mean you have to keep like research funding going as well and if you don't make any process
2: they're mm-hmm. not
1: gonna like keep funding you but um like a lot of the papers, you get really excited when you see them. You get really excited when you see the accuracy. But then, like, when you talk to the authors, it's like, oh, yeah, it doesn't work in production. Like, uh, mm-hmm. it only works on this really specific data set. Um, and sometimes it's even like the the results in the paper are kind of like, uh, let's say, optimized too. So yeah. it's like, it was really frustrating to bring that into production. And it, it took a lot of time too. Like, I mean, we spent almost three months just like, um, Trying to get to like the accuracy we thought we needed to like play the game. Um, so then essentially we we got to like a measurement accuracy that we were happy with. So we contacted like I mean that, that's what Chris did. He he um contacted jeans brands in Amsterdam that we could like start working with. So we have like a prototype or like a like a product in productions when we would approach like the big online
0: retailers. Um, could, so we, could we pause for a second? Sure. I want to understand what. What do you mean, like, what's the difference between having something in research and having something in production? What exactly do you mean when you say we got, we had something in production?
1: Oh, like have something that's already running where you have customers or that hopefully makes money Mm -hmm. and just like, like just putting yourself out there and like launching a product because it's also a lot of. I guess also like like a lot of like emotional, emotional side, right? I mean, you probably know this with your online courses, right? Like you spend Mm -hmm. months and months like developing it. And then when you put it out there, you already have kind of like an end result in mind. Like what kind of metrics you want to reach. And if you publish your course and it's like, like if, if no one would like it, it would like probably Mm
2: -hmm.
0: pretty. pretty So, so production, you mean like you had like an app or something like that, that people could already use?
1: right like a like a plugin on their website or an app that people I think, like like mm. back, back then it was an app that people could download
0: mm-hmm. uh, for the okay so you you already had this app and so then you contacted got in touch with this company in Amsterdam
1: yeah we got in touch with uh, some jeans brands in Amsterdam uh and they were interested in working with us and so we chose this one guy um he had his own brand which was pretty big in Amsterdam actually uh but it, he was local he was not internationally um, and we wanted to work with him because he was also doing custom jeans. So we thought he had a lot of like insider knowledge on like how to select, like what needs to be done to make your jeans fit well. And that was interesting because we essentially thought we needed, so in order to like fit the jeans well, you need to have like the hip, waist, upper thigh, lower thigh, calf, and ankle to fit well. Cause otherwise people are going to be like, oh, no, it's too loose at the angle and it's all these details you have to get right. That's why genes are like the most <laughs> like harder thing. And we thought like mm-hmm. that's also why we started with genes because we thought like if we solve genes, everything else will be a walk in the park. Um, mm-hmm. And we thought like we need to get uh, like one percent accuracy for all these uh, points essentially.
0: And we you mean, like working. Ninety nine percent accuracy
1: um oh no like oh uh, sorry like plus minus one percent measurement oh. accuracy so oh, if, if gotcha. i if i have a hip of 90 centimeters i want the algorithm to predict something in between 91 and 89
2: mm-hmm.
1: actually you have a little bit more room because uh genes are pretty stretchy these days. but um so when we started working with him we realized that there's a relative degree of importance for all of these points for example the hip and the waist essentially like run 90 percent of the game if the hip and the mm-hmm. waist doesn't fit you can like already saying okay this gene is not going to cut it so if we would have just focused on like these two essential measurements we would have like saved a lot of time and would have been much quicker into Mm. production essentially Mm -hmm. so then we were working with him
0: um so is that what you did did you focus on those two points
1: yeah so what we did because we um so we we essentially took the app we went to all the universities in amsterdam and i think we did user testing with like over 700 uh 700 girls because we were only wow. women at that point because <laughs> we had to collect like data like measurement data because we had like a i guess you could say like a pre-trained uh model but then of course we need our own data because we had specific measurements so we thought, like, how do we get this data? Because we're not Amazon who could just, like, because Amazon is also, like, kind of working on this project. Um, we're not Amazon and can spend, like, millions of dollars trying to get people uh, to, let, like, get measured and then train our model. So we had to hustle and go to the universities in Amsterdam and pick people one by one ask them if they wanted to try out this app.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay.
1: We collected these data points and then, um, yeah, that, that's like what we felt comfortable to contact uh, the bigger online retailers to, because um, at, at that point we thought like, okay, we need uh, like, because we, we actually, we didn't launch the app with the jeans brand because we thought like it, it would be good to have something out there, but we also need money. So like developing the app and launching it would take like at least um, probably a month to do a good job. And that's very
0: optimistic.
1: <laughs> right.
0: For a month. More like twelve months.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess. I'm pretty naive there. Um but yeah, so then we thought, luckily, like, we have to move faster and get in touch with these online retailer because if, if they like what we do, they would probably fund us ahead, and then we could uh, like get it in production and also get paid for it. Because I mean, we're sorry, we need to make money. We were yeah. we had fa- friends and family funding at that point, so we need to get like uh, yeah, we need to make revenue. And then <laughs> so we contacted like the uh, like A- ASOS, Levi, Zappos, Nordstrom, um, Shopbop. Like all these big online retails, we got a couple of meetings, but they were, they were slow and we didn't anticipate that because we've never done B2B sales before. Um, and so Nordstrom, for example, we had a talk in like July and the next meeting would have been in like October. There was a slump going on in the whole retail space, so like ASOS told us that, that everything is going super slow right now and we shouldn't expect anything to move uh, and, uh, until the end of, end of the year. And that was kind of like, we couldn't deal with that cycle as a startup. Plus, we also saw that with this measurement technology, there's stuff out there right now, but there's nothing that works and that people actually like to use. Because it turns out that people don't like to measure themselves with their phone. They're not excited about the technology. They don't care about this technology. They just want to get like the genes that makes them look good. And yeah. it's, it's the easiest and fastest way to get there. And they don't want to download your app. They don't want to like deal with your um, like startup buggy software <laughs> um yeah and yeah like we we thought we need to iterate faster um to go to market and also some of these retailers told us like um we that they're worried about customer adoption so like revolve this uh company um in la who just recently got pretty big through like the whole thing because they were the first to do instagram influencer marketing in the fashion space i think um, so they said like, Hey, like we're, wor- we're worried about like if customers would actually use the app, we see that it provides value, but we're not sure if people would use it and like it. So we thought okay, the best way would be to switch into B2C, have our own prototype running where we just like buy jeans from Nordstrom, have people use the app and then send it to them. We don- wouldn't make any money off of it in the beginning, but essentially we could prove the concept.
0: Okay. Okay. Let- let's pause there. Very interesting, very interesting story. So. Reminds me a lot of how Adlan and I were starting Blue Life um, Uh back in, I think that was two thousand seventeen. We came up with the idea in June, and we were brainstorming for a very long time. I remember we were in Portugal. We spent like a whole month brainstorming. We'd go out for dinner uh, every evening, have a glass, a bottle of wine between the two of us, and just like come, keep like coming up with ideas. How what are we gonna do, and so on. And we had kind of the opposite journey in our um in our approach to everything here that we started with ideas in the space of b2c Mm -hmm. and then by iterating for like we were almost set on a few ideas in b2c and then we changed our approach and changed to b2b and it's interesting that even though our approach was opposite we observed very similar things so In B2C, while brainstorming, we were coming up with these ideas, you know, like, for instance, one of them was, let's take photos, because we were at dinner all the time, (laughs) brainstorming, it'd be really cool to have an app where you can take a photo of your meal, and it will tell you right away, you know, how healthy that meal is, and moreover, you know, do computer vision and recognize the different types of food. And provide you okay th- this many calories in this um, in this meal or this many vitamins these amino acids are present you know you probably and if you do that every time you take one photo people take photos of their food anyway so you yeah, take yeah, one yeah. photo of your food like every meal that's like three, 21 photos per week and you get a whole like uh, t- a summary of all of the vitamins and minerals and amino acids and macronutrients and everything fats. All these sorts of different types of fats that you ate, and yeah. that can really help you understand where you're missing out because you might think you're eating a healthy diet, but ultimately you might be missing out. And oh, moreover, for instance, if the app doesn't recognize an image, we could crowdsource the whole image recognition because, like, if you took a photo and one of the like I don't know the fish on your uh, plate wasn't identified properly, or the carrots were identified as broccoli or whatever, you can just click and change the label. And that way we could crowdsource the data as well. So we had really cool ideas like that, but ultimately we moved, And I had cool ideas in my view, you know, I don't know how other people think about that, but ultimately we moved away from B2C because we found that very competitive. And um, as soon as you create an app, very, it's gonna be copied very fast if it's successful. Yeah. Uh, and also it's just like that whole revenue thing that you said, like, you were experiencing that issue at the start, you know, any startup experiences that issue. We found that people are probably not going to pay money for an app like that. Very hard to monetize that type of thing. You need to put ads. We don't want to put ads. You need to sell to a company. Like we didn't see a very clear path on how to monetize that. So we decided we'll switch to B2B because it's much like you have less customers, much less customers instead of millions or hundreds of thousands. You'll have dozens. But at the same time, the deals are bigger and therefore the revenue is a less of a concern however uh little did we know same problem as you came like uh you came across that it's very slow b2b the sales cycle is very slow the bigger the deal the slower the sales cycle so interesting that you know we went b2c change to B2b you went b2 c B changed to b2c and still you know we experienced very similar issues along the way
1: i mean b2b is really like all about maybe not all about if you're a great salesperson and you have experience but it's all about like connections right like yeah knowing people at like in nordstrom for example um i mean we had to cold like essentially cold email them over linkedin i think i reached out to like almost like 500 people on LinkedIn.
0: 500 and- people
1: yeah well, i don't know if that was the best strategy but <laughs> um i mean you get to t- you, you get to talk with these people but then like like levi's for example they have a lot of these offers coming in so i mean but also like we we didn't like we didn't uh, so now in retrospective i would have loved to know that before and i'll go into more into books later but there's this one book called crossing the chasm which is about like mm-hmm. essentially technology marketing, pretty focused on B two B. Drew House, D- Drew Houston, the founder of mm-hmm. Dropbox, recommended in the Tim Ferriss podcast. And mm-hmm. like, if I would have read that before, I would have done things differently in terms of like selling the product to these businesses. But um, yeah, I mean, that was that was definitely a big learning. And I mean, like, w- uh, like w- w- one of the things I'll, I'll go into now because I think I think it's, it fits before I go into like the B two C part. As I, and I wrote this recently in an article, maybe we can like link this in the show notes. It was like, like the whole takeaway was essentially the world doesn't care. And it's funny because I, I was intrigued to ask you too, if you kind of felt the same, because you guys essentially went from, okay, um, let me explain first. Like if, cause I, so I think like the whole like startup, um, like starting a startup at a young age right now, or even like in generally starting a startup is pretty like overhyped. And I think, mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people, I think I I was partly one of them that just like start a startup to start a startup to be part of that like whole founder story to do something like while you're young, probably a good idea, but it doesn't like, you shouldn't do it just because you're young. If you don't have a good idea, and like it would even go that far that I would have people tell us like, oh wow, like you guys are actually solving a real problem, and that's mm. not ridiculous, right? Like if you don't, if you're not solving a problem, like why would you start solving? And even if you're solving a problem, maybe the right way is not to start a company, maybe it's to join an existing company because using their resources would solve that problem faster. I don't, I don't know. It's usually the case, but it might be the case. And then like all this stuff, and like because I mean, starting a startup. I mean, Ben talks a lot about that too. Uh, But like starting a startup is brutal. Like you work crazy hours and essentially if you're successful, the world loves these stories of like the college dropout who started his own startup, like put together a team of brilliant engineers and they like worked super hard and slept on the floors under the uh, table because uh, getting, getting a place in San Francisco is too expensive. And everyone loves these stories when they get really big. But the other side of the story that, people maybe like or, or that usually people don't talk about is that um you do all these things but it doesn't mean that you're going to be successful because the world doesn't care about like really what you put in it only cares about what you put out so the world cares about like great services for business i say on like great products for consumers that actually make an impact that's what the world cares about not what you like put into it so if you're not successful no one cares if you work like hundred hour weeks no one cared like essentially like new year's last year i was like working all night and um (laughs) my birthday i think i was working until 4 a.m we slept two hours and went to a customer interview in amsterdam um it's like (laughs) essentially also the world doesn't care like how old you are if you're like thinking oh it's gonna be great to start something when i'm 21 no it's not because the world doesn't care if you're 21 (laughs) like if your product sucks like no one will talk about it (laughs) and i think like you could probably share that too like because you guys were like massive like huge, hugely successful with your online courses but then going into b2b my my guess would be that none of these companies really cared that much about your like online courses right
0: Uh, very interesting different game yeah um i would say for us um it's true, yeah. None of the companies really cared about the online courses, but mostly because we went into a different niche. We went from, um, or a different industry even, we went from education into consulting, into building AI, because they there were a f- quite a few students that were asking us, "How oh, can you, you know, you, you, you're teaching this stuff. Can you build, can you help us build this thing at our business and so on? Right. Um, and so... We, there were some initial interest, but then other than that, uh, you're right. W- you have to start all over again. However, now what we're doing is we've added a new branch to Blue Life where we provide corporate training services to companies. So uh, rather than just consulting, we can engage a business with, um, all right, we'll come in and we'll train up your team the same way we train online, but in-person training with uh, very rigorous training. Um, a, a curriculum and exactly what you need, like tailored education for your team uh, to bring you up to speed or executive training as well in artificial intelligence strategy. And right, right. We're t- we just started that. So we're testing that approach out. But I have a feeling that now we can transfer those credentials. Like we can transfer, hey, we've taught a million students online. We have a ton of experience on how to create curriculums and things like that. We can train up your team as well. And then that will open up doors for consulting as well. So, That's awesome, yeah. So I guess, yeah, like it's it's interesting. It's very interesting. I, I was listening to a podcast uh, from uh, the founder of Superhuman. There's a mm-hmm. like an emailing client that they've started, which is like a competitor to Gmail, but not for everybody. It's just for people who get like a ton of emails all the time. And very different, very personalized, like 30 bucks a month. Uh, You get like personalized onboarding. You have to join a wait list to join them and so on. Uh, But the guy is very knowledgeable and has interesting ideas about product market fit and things like that. And so I was listening to this podcast with him. And one of the things he mentioned was that because his first startup was super successful, it was very easy for him to get funding for the second one. You know, it was in, in a different in a context where he was saying that he didn't actually want to get too much funding or too early on. But I think the world doesn't care to a point. After a certain point of like experience, and this is this is another thing that um you're right. The world doesn't care about how much time you put in. If your product is is um you know, is crap, then nobody's gonna care at the end of the day. But at the same time, if through and why I think it, it is a good idea to try these things, regardless of your age, but it's a good idea to try projects to like like you say, fail, like this was in your um Data Science Go 2018 talk. It's good to fail because the learnings you get in the process, that is an indicator to people that you are tried and tested with time. You're a seasoned entrepreneur or like you and the word you know seasoned has the meaning like like you've been through seasons through happy and bad through like ups and downs through uh amazing successes and through terrible failures like you've seen the good and the bad like you won't be surprised by anything that comes your way that is thrown at you it's, it's very hard to like throw you off your feet and while at the end of the day like you're b2b or b2c clients won't care about that the people that are going to be in your corner whether it's investors your team um your advisors mentors uh your early adopters your fans they're gonna care and they're gonna see like hey you know Rico has already failed at this thing and he's tried this and this and this and like he's growing like he's got so much wisdom that the chances of him you know even starting something that he doesn't believe in or he hasn't calculated through well are quite low so on in that sense I think it's uh it's very valuable to have this experience and as you would probably agree that from failure you learn 10 times more than from a success
1: that is really interesting I I totally agree with uh, the point that uh, the people in your corner they do care um, Especially um, if you're a, seri- a serial entrepreneur who had a successful business before, investors will majorly care about, like, um, if, if you approach them with a second idea for a business. Like, almost like something, they, they would, just, like, throw money at you because you've done it before <laughs> yeah. successfully. Like um, And then, I, I, so, yeah, I, I guess, no, that is absolutely true. Also, your team. If you've been successful before it'll be easier to hire people uh rather than like being a 24 21 year old like first time entrepreneur who hasn't done anything um but like what, what i was more trying to get to was like that uh in the end like the customers i guess like most customers Guess you like, and at that point you're right. Like the early adopters, do care about like so? Uh, for example, when F F. Williams, was the founder of Twitter, when he founded Medium, I think people did care in Silicon Valley at least when they were like, "Oh, F. Williams started or something again, I'll probably check it out." But like the like the the like mass market customer, I'd say, who doesn't even know who is the founder of Medium right now, they don't care who founded the company. They care about like the product they see, and they don't care if F. Williams is the guy behind it. That that was more like the but like the other thing uh you're um i also touched on is i think yes i agree that failure is a good way to learn but i think it has like you have to take it with a grain of salt because um just because you fail doesn't necessarily mean that you learned from it it's not like it's not a given and it's a really hard and painful process to go through and like reflect on what you did wrong and also there's a huge gap between what i saw too is um between like reading or listening to something or even watching a video on something and then applying that stuff so for example like maybe we can touch on that later when we go into like the b2c of our product but like steve jobs always said like they succeeded one of the reasons they succeeded was because they built something where they themselves were the customers for and i've listened to mm-hmm. that video i think maybe like 10 times but still <laughs> when we launched our product we like started by building something for women because like one reason was that we thought the women's market of like the market of women buying online is way bigger than men, so they'll mm-hmm. be naturally more interested in the product and that was maybe a wrong assumption. Um, but it like it was not, it was super hard to build something for someone else because there's so many details in a great consumer product you have to get right. Um, like or
0: or you could have had like a woman on your team to that, to help
1: that, with that yeah, part, yeah. right? That, that's true like um
0: but okay but so so that's a very very good point if it's not a learning <laughs> a failure is not a learning if you didn't actually learn from your mistakes
1: exactly and so sorry did, did you want to say anything yeah yeah sure um yeah so like the and and I'm I, I, I will say that I'm not good at this Like, so I I usually like to like move fast and um and move ahead like move forward and I'm usually not that reflective on my actions. But I was really lucky. Um, and like we're still in great contact, like me and my co-founder, Chris, because he's the exact opposite. Like, he would take more time for his decisions. He's very strategic. And uh, he would take the time and sometimes, like, even overly reflect on things to, like, get a learning out of them. So for me, that was really helpful to, like, sit down with him and, like, go through that thinking process of, like, every month what did we do wrong and like what it also like was really important, like what were we thinking back then? Because it's also it's always so easy to look back and say like, oh that's where we went wrong. But like being in that situation with all the knowledge you had back then, it the decision is not that clear cut usually. Like it's easy to look back and think like oh we that's what we what we did wrong. But being in a situation, um yeah, it's it's not that it's not that easy. Mm. So like doing that whole process was really painful. But also so, so, that's how we learned. But let's
0: though. let's recap. So you just, in order to clarify, because uh, you told me a bit about this before the podcast. You sat down with your co-founder after you put the startup on hold, which is, yeah. uh, if you don't mind me saying, is another way of just saying like we failed. Let's exactly. let's yeah, move yeah. on to something else. Um, so yeah, after all that happened, you said, "All right, we're gonna make sure we learn from this, and we're gonna rewind and." spend some time to analyze month by month what did we do wrong and what we were thinking back then. So and you told me you you got like five learnings from that. Let, let's go through them. I think this will be very useful to somebody who might be considering to start a startup in the space of AI.
1: Right. Um I also will say that he was the one that was proposing that to be fair. Um I <laughs> I, I was really like down with it too, but he was the one that proposed to do that. Um yeah, so like what we came up with was like a, a longer list, but I wanted to cut it down to like five things that I thought were like also provide value for other people. Um like the first thing was that whole like start a problem in your own life when you're building a consumer product. And like it also doesn't mean that you only have to like build like for problems in your own life if you talk to a friend and he tells you about like a problem he has in his own life but maybe he doesn't have a technical background or maybe he doesn't want to start a company but he'll give you really accurate information about that problem and you can go ahead and solve it that will be valuable too but in general if you're like if you're seeing a problem in someone else's life it's it's much harder to um solve that problem and build a great product that that person will use. So, for example, one thing we found was that uh, when we were back in L.A., like really in the in the end, like, I think like two months ago or something, um, when we switched into, when we pivoted to men, um, that's when we, like, the first time we realized, like, wow, the solution, the app we had built, like, we don't see how this would fit in our lives. And hmm. frankly, like, we wouldn't use it. And that was crazy mm-hmm. because before I would like I would like talk like call like some of the girls I'm friends with and ask them about the product and stuff and like ask these like now like unrelated questions. But um like once I once I really thought through like if this is this something I would use in my own life and the answer was no, that was like a pretty like revealing moment for us to think like wow for a while. Uh, if we and like realizing that like 10 months into 10 months into the business is pretty painful. <laughs> like trust me mm. <laughs> <laughs> you're, like if we would we would have just like done that thinking process 10 months earlier, um, that would have yeah saved us a lot of uh, high ages. okay.
0: So very useful and, so one, too. And,
1: and, and like i'm not the only one like steve Jobs, like as i said he he said that too like because they were they were the ones that were building uh they were building computers because they wanted to use it themselves mm-hmm. and um i guess that was really really valuable wait let me so yeah the second one i oh yeah so this one is really interesting so um Okay. Also, like, I, th- I think because I said like start with a problem in your own life. This is in no means like a how-to manual or how to blah blah. This is just like let me show you it differently, like what I learned, and not like to advise anyone to like follow the advice. I think if it's useful, like try to apply it, but it's not like that. People should definitely like follow these rules. Um. So like the second thing was um like to really stay focused on the end results for your company that has the highest impact on the business strategy. And this goes down actually two layers. So I told you, I think I said earlier that we thought for the different body measurements, we needed 1% in accuracy. And then we found that like, if we just focus on the hip and the waist, that like is like 80, like with the 80, 20 rule that cuts it already for, um, like on a very high level. If we were just focus on these two measurements, that would have been smarter. But then at the same time, like going another level upwards, um, even the 1% measurement inaccuracy or the measurements in itself was not the right um, like task to focus on for the high level business strategy. Because the... The online retailers don't care about the body measurements. They care about like the the conversion they get, like what drives conversion in their online job, and like what like re- reduces costs associated with returns. And then later in B2C, the customers they don't care about your measurement accuracy. They care about like if your product helps them to get there faster, easier, and also like in the end if the genes makes them look and feel good so like focusing on these measurements so rigorously spending like so like three months optimizing for these one this one percent measurement accuracy instead of like going back and thinking like are there maybe easier ways to test our assumptions is it like because I said say like when we were in LA like one thing we thought was to find people jeans that fit well, we could just ask them to send us like one of their pairs that fits them well because usually people have like one pair that fits them well and it's like either broken or I don't know, they're just looking for a different color. So like having them give us the specific model or send it in via mail so we can measure the jeans and then find them something just based on the jeans measurements maybe would have been the, like (laughs) would have been a better product and it would definitely be easier to test it out because we didn't need to build any like machine learning tools to get the measurements. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, for the B2B, we could have, um, essentially like built this test environment where we had the product and the human in the loop and then be very upfront about it with, uh, with the business that is still a testing environment. It would take about three months to build it and like gauge if they will be interested in it. Um, I mean, do that before you start working like heavily go into the measurements and, um, like, sell them um, a
0: ready product. Um, So basically kind of understand, uh, come up with a product that has a better product market fit. I think that's, that's uh, the bottom line there.
1: Right, right. And, and yeah, and choose your metrics. Like, don't focus on this 1% accuracy if it doesn't have any impact on your business strategy. Because like I said, like the uh, B2B customers and also the B2C customers didn't care about the measurement accuracy. So focus on the stuff that mat- matters, like the high level stuff that matters for your business. And then, yeah,
0: because mm. we, 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 we
1: got lost in the trenches mm. there. Let's
0: uh, like, I I agree, like focus on other metrics, but there's one specific metric I've I've been reading about recently uh, that is quite a new metric. Uh, and again, it was from from a blog written by the founder of mm, Superhuman. And they come up with a way to actually measure product market fit, quantify it. And the way to do that is you basically ask your users who, you know, you're slowly getting people, like you said, you build a test environment or you start with something uh, small where they send you in measurements and you help them pick uh, um, the right outfits. So you have a small user group that is slowly, you know, maybe getting new users, losing some users. But ultimately, you ask them a question after about two or three weeks them, of them using a product. You ask them a question: How disappointed would you be if you were no longer able to use um, dress well in your case, or you know whatever else it is, Dropbox, Airbnb? How right. disappointed would you be? And then you measure what percentage of people reply, and you give them options: very disappointed, somewhat disappointed, not disappointed. Uh-huh. And you measure the percentage of people that reply very disappointed, and um, it's actually not his original idea, this was already done by another um, venture capitalist, I think, who tested it out with many companies, including Slack and others. And they found that for your product to go viral, you need at least 40% of your customers to say that they would be very disappointed if they were no longer able to use your product. And so, ultimately, for so a startup, I know, I'll send you the article. Yeah. Ultimately, for a startup, you just need to measure that one metric. So all you need to measure is what percentage of our customers are saying they would be very disappointed if they're not able to use a product. And you need to, um, you know, uh, navigate your product in such a way, like ch- make changes to it, adjustments, rethink your strategy, uh, rethink the user experience, whatever else, um, uh, mission promise to customers, minimum like whatever whatever you components you have in your product. You need to keep rethinking it. You'll start at ten percent, twenty percent, thirty. But once you hit that magic number of forty percent, you've got product market fit, and then you start measuring things like accuracy, uh, revenue, profitability. And one thing you mentioned at the start was that uh, we're a startup. We got to make revenue. Well, that's I don't I don't agree with that. I don't think that a startup needs to make revenue. No, a startup, the revenue has to like be figured out some other way. Whether you're sleeping on the floor or you have your parents or friends money or you got investors investing in you for a startup can even for two three five years not make revenue the goal of a startup is to find that product market fit once you found it once you have that forty percent down you know all all sorted and and ongoing consistently you every month over month you are getting forty percent or above of your um, product market fit according to this quantifiable quantified metric then you start thinking about whatever else you want you you want revenue go for revenue you want um accuracy go for accuracy there's there's lots of things to go from there but i think that that would like based on what you've told said and like i'm not i'm no you know expert in startups but sounds to me like that would have been a bit of a game changer for you if you had been measuring product market fit from the start
1: i would partly disagree um so Okay, like I think it's very what you said. Like startups don't need to make revenue. That, that's why I like part of disagree because I think also the metric it depends heavily on what kind of startup you run. For example, for our product, how many, how many jeans do you buy a year? So like for the first product we had, just like measurements for jeans, how many jeans do you buy a year? Probably around two girls maybe buy more like three. So like the whole mm-hmm. three month rule would be it would kind of not work because if you only use the product once. There's not a strong, I mean, it it, like, it it depends much more on the first interaction with the product other than like a Slack mm-hmm. that would that you would use every day. So I think like mm-hmm. the metric would still work if you find a way to like uh, maybe adjust the cycle or uh, I don't know, like frame it a different way. But it's for us, it would have been very hard to like test it over a three month period because over a three month period, you only buy one pair of jeans. And mm. like Spotify, for example, I would literally cry if you would take away from me tomorrow. Like I would be super <laughs> disappointed. But I would yeah. use it every day. Like it's different than like, uh, and may, like, I guess maybe that was also maybe an underlying flaw of our app. But then like regarding the revenue. So like, uh, I
2: guess, I, I don't know. If but
0: like, Wait, 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 hold, hold on. Hold on with that. It's a very interesting thing. Like, can you think of a app that you use that you would, that you like really love, but you only use twice a year? Is there any other app that that like you have an attachment to that is very useful to your life, but you use it so rarely? Well, um,
1: <laughs> Apple Podcasts, but I can't find a podcast on Spotify.
0: <laughs> yeah, so but you wouldn't care if Apple and Apple Podcasts is they're closing down Apple I iTunes would, I anyway. I would
1: actually care. Would you, they're closing it down?
0: Yeah, they announced it like six months ago.
1: There's a, like a lot of podcasts that are on Apple Podcasts, but not on Spotify. So that would actually be a pretty big deal.
0: I don't know. Well, the iTunes, they're closing down. I don't know what, what Apple Podcasts. Oh, yeah. I, but, don't,
2: but, I don't
0: think they're That would be ridiculous. But you see, it's like it's a backup option. But what what's a life-changing app that you use? But like the, my point is that if it's really important to you, you use it at least weekly, probably probably daily or several times a week. And so my like it's... Yeah, I just don't imagine how a startup that is used, you know, an app that is used twice a year, is going to really, um, ingrain yeah, like itself products. in the lives. Right. Yeah, yeah, like because right, the right. attention spans are so low.
2: I
1: guess yeah, I guess that's why like the okay, so for like the online retailers, I don't have any personal connection to them. Like when like when I ever, which is like never, but when I, a couple times, like, I ordered a jacket online, for example, and the reason the 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 way I shopped was I ordered a. And then I found it was cheaper on About You than on Zalando, two German online retailers. And it was cheaper on About You, so I got it from About You, even though I found it on Zalando. So there's like no, yeah. there's like no connection, and I don't feel like I'm betraying Zalando because I'm buying off their competitor. Which I mean, like kind of like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Like I have a personal connection, so I feel like if I'm using Apple Podcasts all the time, I'm letting Spotify down, so I need to use Spotify more, because <laughs> um, I like the product, so I want to use it. Um, But I guess like these online retailers, what I'm trying to say is there's no brand loyalty because you Mm -hmm. use them so rarely. But the people that use them heavily, um, they have like, I guess they have a brand loyalty towards like one of the online retailers that use them, they shop every week. But they also wouldn't have to use the measurement tool because like, I guess you only have to use like once a month unless you have a weird diet. Mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah uh, that's an interesting point that you're raising um yeah and and i guess that that was that was definitely part of like what we what we uh, also saw the problem that uh, it's not a product that you would use every day and um it mm-hmm. is very hard to build up uh just with the measurement system itself bring, build up like a brand loyalty
0: mm-hmm. yeah which
1: is well yeah, i see okay.
0: on the other hand if you had sold it to b2b as a service because they have like thousands of clients they they would have users using it every day but not the same users you know you know what i mean like every day there would be like thousands of people using it right but just different users but then you could measure satisfaction based on the b2b outcomes i know like i guess for an ai app you also need that constant influx of data
1: right right yeah
0: hmm. interesting okay interesting um yes so- all right so what Sorry. was the other thing you were going to say? Uh,
1: yeah, that was the, so the the founder of, um, I always forget their name. Uh,
2: it's an American, boss?
1: no, it's an American uh, insurance startup, Zenefits, Zenefits. So the founder of Zenefits during YC startup school, uh, when, when he was on stage with Mark Andreessen and Ron Conway, he was saying that with his first startup, um, he had to hustle and like, go through all these investors, he talked to like hundreds of investors, and they were all like, uh, so this one investor essentially like, told him, hey, uh, like you guys presentation is really shallow, there's no numbers on like revenue and users and stuff. Um, I mean, if you guys were the Twitter guys, we wouldn't care about that, but you're not, so we need all these like details about your business and the numbers. So what he took away from that was not to like, <laughs> wrap up the pitch deck and have all these numbers, but to become the Twitter guys, where you just like have <laughs> that much product growth that people, you know, investors don't care about your numbers. Yeah. I think with us, we weren't the Twitter guys. Uh, so I, I do think, so that that, because that's essentially what, what the investors asked us, like how many customers do you have? How much revenue do you have? And they cared about that. So once we like yeah. got initial revenue with the B2C in LA, they started to like be more interested.
0: Interesting. But not, uh, not, um, not if you... enough. But. If you're not, if you're okay to share, uh, what what kind of revenue are we talking about? Like, is this millions of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars? <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> we're we're talking about like the first month in LA where we made like about two thousand
0: dollars. Wow, well, that's that's not bad actually. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, so this was because your app was a paid app. This was because we
1: um essentially bought jeans from Nordstrom, and then people would use our app. And then we would uh, like from all we had like hundreds of jeans in our office in LA. <laughs> um, so we would choose the jeans and then send it to the customers. And then when they would keep it, they would like pay us for it. So it, it it was like literally, it was very 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 slim profit, like almost no profit because we essentially sold them for the same price that we bought them for. But like mm. it was revenue.
0: Wow. Okay. Real hustle. Real hustle. Yeah. Okay so that was learning number two to stay focused on results that have the biggest impact on your high-level business strategy
1: yeah yeah um so the third one is actually like for the thailand article i put like the quote from uh like what bill campbell said to uh ben horowitz when he was trying to take his company public like it's it's not about the money it's about the (laughs) money
0: Um, (laughs) it's it's about the beep money (laughs) yeah by the way this article I don't think we've mentioned it this article is available on Medium I just gave it 50 claps because (laughs) I like Rico (laughs) I haven't read it yet but it looks amazing so if somebody wants to recap on all the things we're talking about here we'll link to it on the show notes and follow Rico Rico Meinl the article is called The World Doesn't Care Lessons from Startup Failure
1: Okay, we can also link it in the in the show notes it, it'll be yeah more, yeah it'll be a more like brief version of what we're talking about here uh, yeah
0: this, this you should link the podcast in the article because this is the, oh, yeah. the full version <laughs> uh, okay that. yeah so so it's not about the money it's about the yeah. ah it's not about it's not the money it's the beep money exactly um
1: yeah like being a tech person um it's like we want to build stuff that's Cool. Essentially, I, I feel like that's like whatever you take person. They want to build cool stuff. Like no one, no one wants to build boring, uh, like old-fashioned products that just like drive revenue. Like we all want to build something cool. We all want to build products that we can show off to like a mom. And be like, hey, I built this. Um, but essentially, what we learned is because we didn't, and that's pay like back to the revenue part because we didn't focus on the money we thought like oh we're going to build this product and because it's so useful for customers and it'll be so useful for these businesses we'll find out a way to monetize it um and i mean the plan we had like monetizing it for the b2b market uh the b2b customers um would have worked at scale at a very, very large scale, because if we only charge like a little bit of, uh, like a very small fee for every customer that measures himself, or that like buys a jeans after measuring herself, um, Mm -hmm. that would only work if you have millions of customers, aka like uh, like a lot of these retail partners, and otherwise you're not gonna become profitable in the long term. But um, yeah, because we didn't focus on the business model from the start, that's essentially like like what hurt us in, in the end that when uh, investors asked us about like the business model, we didn't have any like really good answers. And that's when we ended up like pivoting uh, many times, like actually in the end in LA. And um, that's when it kind of like got out of control and we had to put it on, uh, like we like had to to make a cut Um, Mm -hmm. because like being an online retailer, like the idea when we went into B2C then was to, like I said, like buy the stuff from Nordstrom, sell it over our own website and app, and then in the like longer, actually like pretty short term because we already talked to some of these brands, uh, buy the stuff from the brands from for retail price, um, uh, for wholesale price, and then sell it online for retail price, uh, and that that will be our business model. But um, if you only do jeans in the beginning, that's really that's really hard. And it's not, it would not make a lot of money, which is then why we decided to like have our own jeans, essentially like make our own jeans. Because with that, if we have our own jeans and like a pretty strong brand behind it, um, we would be able to like let, get them produced for like twenty dollars, like premium jeans, sell them for like a hundred dollars in that segment. That's that's pretty cheap because the for that quality usually pay like two hundred dollars, and then sell that using our app. As like a new technology, like that, that would have been the business model that would have like made like good profits, essentially. Feel <laughs> word. That that's what really hurt us. That we didn't focus on the money and we thought like, oh, we're gonna build a product, we're gonna build a great product, we're gonna build a great technology, and the revenue model will like figure <laughs> out itself.
0: Interesting, interesting. Like I, I will partially disagree with you on that one, because like yeah, I see the importance of uh, you know money and making the revenue. But like it sounds, man, you're not Amazon. Like you started by let's create an AI app that helps people get measurements. But then like with this whole uh, let's let's um, set up a business. We will buy uh, now we will buy jeans at wholesale, sell them at retail, and our app will help people find the measurements. Oh no, wait, that's not a profitable. We're actually gonna create our own jeans brand and sell that way. It's like it sounds like you're. Uh, going off on a huge tangent very far away from your original goal and the, the app you don't even need the app just start a cheap je- brand of jeans and sell that like why do you need the app like at the end of the day I, if I feel that dilution of focus is it would also kill your business as well like you you have to if you if you're if you're not finding product market fit with just a measurements app it doesn't mean that adding a brand of jeans on top of it is going to help the situation you just you're just like all right just do the jeans then forget about the app like you need to figure out one thing at a time that's what i would say here
1: i agree with that um the problem was that people don't care about the app
0: um <laughs>
1: then, like, then ditch the people, app
0: <laughs> like
1: people like people didn't like i, I mean yeah
0: <laughs> either change yeah. the app to one that people do care about or ditch the app and do brand of jeans but it's like I don't know, like um, I'm going to I'm going to sell you a super, super fast bicycle that gets you from, you know, L.A. to uh, to San Diego in two hours. Uh, but it's like it's super dangerous. So I'm actually going to sell you that bicycle and attach a car to it. And, you know, if forget about the bicycle, just buy the car, <laughs> that type of thing
1: so like okay like the, the one thing i will say because this like all sounds like really like we were just like losing <laughs> losing it and just like randomly iterating <laughs> at the same time you always have to remember and this is like like reed hopman says when you build a startup it's essentially like jumping out of a plane assembling your plane on the way down yeah
0: i heard that one that's a really cool so
1: it, it's it's just not like if you're assembling a plane on the way down and your app is not working and you have to make a decision it's not like you can just go on vacation for a week and like make a decision. i mean maybe you could. <laughs> if you have enough money in the bank we didn't have enough money in the bank so we had to figure out something pretty fast because we had to like raise money at that point or we would die yeah um yeah so yeah i mean like, there's a there's a lot of um pressure on you to move keep moving fast and like be nimble about your changes so yeah, i guess that also like hurt us in the end
0: mm-hmm. okay interesting learning so basically um I guess we can agree on that have a way that you're going to mon- monetize this in mind. Like it's, it's noble to do things for the sake of doing them, but that's research. If you want to build a business, you got to have monetization in mind from the start.
1: Right.
2: Hmm.
1: Um, I, yeah, I, I think, yeah, that one, that one is, um, pretty, like that one is just like, I, I put that on cause it's really big for me and I think other technical people as well. Cause you usually don't think about the business side that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's so
0: important. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's true. I was actually listening uh, to a podcast with um, like a pod, a panel with three mm-hmm. venture capital um, investors. So it's like people who work at venture capital firms. I think one of them actually owned uh, their own venture capital firm, and they right. their job is to find um, lucrative startups to invest into. And one of the comments mm-hmm. they all three agreed on the, was. Like, we're not, like, if if your business model is we're going to get a 100,000 users or a million users, and then we'll think about monetization, like, those days are long gone. Now, like, they don't invest in that type of stuff. You got to have, you got to have, if you want investments, you got to have not just a plan on how you're going to monetize, but you're actually going to show that you are having, you know, monthly recurring revenue or ARR, annual recurring revenue, or people are actually buying your product. You. You need to have a a proper business plan around this stuff.
1: That is so interesting. Yeah. Um. So uh, I actually wanted to put that in. I think I don't know if I mentioned in the article, but um. So Reed Hoffman said that too during. Get a lot of love influence from him, <laughs> <laughs> but um, he, he he's great. He he's pretty a strategic thinker. Uh, very analytical. I like to listen to his stuff. Um, he had a talk at a, you can link the podcast called Entrepreneurial Thought Leader. So it's like this Stanford. Uh, invited like all these successful Silicon Valley entrepreneurs to give a talk and he was one of them and essentially one guy in the end asked him like how do you monetize products in the mobile age because everything moved mobile now Mm -hmm. Um, and he he, he, like actually said that it's not as easy as just like building something with a lot of users and and just putting ads on it. It doesn't work anymore. Like it doesn't, it's not a very good approach for mobile. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So I, I guess that's maybe also what you're referring to. Like back in the days when everything was web, uh it was a decent strategy to like build something get users and put ads on it Mm -hmm. but with mobile it's different
0: yeah yeah no i totally agree i was also listening to a podcast with the ceo of um i think it's called the athlete the company i got i gotta check the i gotta check the the name of the podcast but uh on the name of the company and uh, yeah same thing they were talking about ads and uh, uh, one thing that so they they came up with came up with this, um, uh, they came up with this one uh, company. Uh, the company business idea is basically to rather than have clickbait articles about sports where people you know click on them on Google, go read them, and and the monetization of that is through advertising. Instead, they're mm-hmm. like, how about we do a closed website? where you pay for a membership you pay like i think 30 bucks 60 bucks a year your first year is like 30 dollars a year and there's no ads at all and we have non clickbaity very curated content that is actually very valuable to our users because it's the it's uh created by a dedicated team of um people who like are paid to do this rather than uh paid uh, to you know do create uh, clickbait content. I found the the website right, is called right. The Athletic. The Athletic, see uh, the CEO. Sounds, the so, sounds
1: similar to Medium.
0: Yeah, 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 but Medium is free, right? You don't. There's no paywall on Medium. Like
1: there is, there is. For if if you want to read, I think if you want to read like one article a day, like some of the articles are behind their paywall. Ah, which means okay. You can only well, then, read them if you have an account.
0: Then that's that's cool. So. It's just to your point, it's maybe not exactly the business model you'd use in, in the case of your um, a startup or your idea. But to your point that advertising is like dying off, like people, there's better ways to serve your customers with good content. And people are willing to pay, pay money to you rather than to the advertising in exchange for a higher, more premium, tailored service.
1: I've been listening to, uh, there's this one company in LA that we also briefly talked to, they're called Brand Entertainment Network, they do some really amazing stuff with AI, and they're talking a lot, their CEO, like who's a friend of Ben, uh, who I met that way, um, he. they talk a lot about like how product placement is taking over the advertisement industry, and I think that's really, so I don't think advertisement is dying off in itself, but I think like just banner ads are dying off because people hate them. Mm-hmm. So what you get now is like this native, ad- I don't know if native ads is the right word. I'm not an expert in this field by no means. But um, mm. like the, like for example, paying influencers to wear your t-shirts or have them advertise your beauty products or i don't know like if someone would pay me in my medium article if to use google cloud for my machine learning projects and i would like write that i like about using google cloud essentially mm-hmm. i don't know like that, that kind of stuff where you where it's not that like obvious people know like it's ads but it's actually like integrated into the content
0: mm. it's kind of like classic example is the truman show that movie remember that yeah, 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 yeah. We watched it at school. <laughs> <laughs> you watched it at school.
2: Great movie. Great movie.
0: <laughs> Amazing movie. I rewatched it recently. It's so good. I love Truman Show with, uh, uh, with Jim yeah, Carrey. Yeah. Oh, it's just just so good. He's and yeah, guy. it's like uh, that's the definition, or I don't know, like the extreme version of product placement in people's lives, right. basically. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um,
1: Okay, so the, the fourth point I briefly mentioned before, just like to quickly recap. Um, unless you're a PhD and you already know like what's possible in your field, like be very careful with like trying to hop on the train and just implement the latest and greatest research papers because they're usually like, they just look super nice, but then they're really, uh, it's really hard to get like actual business results from them. Um, and, uh, but if, if you do that, make sure to connect with the authors because they will like make that process like of uncovering what's really behind that paper
0: <laughs> telling long, you the and truth like, <laughs> <mess>. <laughs> oh and my man God. like
1: they're, they're open about it. like that that's that's the thing like that I, is I'm so not surprising
0: to, like i was I'm not trying to
1: shit on research here like research is great they're, like there's great potential in these papers and uh i mean frankly one of the guys that really helped me out is like a really good friend of mine uh from hamburg he now works at a facebook ai research in pittsburgh he's doing mm. great um and like so it's it's awesome but um it's like once, like I talked to a couple of them and I would I would be super excited about the paper and I would ask them about it and they were like, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Don't so try to make
0: it like that. <laughs> <laughs> What is this? This is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. This is even worse than, like I had a guest on the podcast, Sam Hinton, really cool guy, uh, astrophysicist, uh, is teaching Python now. He was actually on the uh, Survivor show, you know, random fact and and, you know, didn't mm-hmm. win, but had a great time. Anyway, and he was, he, he mentioned this this obvious thing that we like, it's so obvious, but nobody actually thinks about so it. In order for your research to go through, you need a p-value of zero point, what 0.05, right? So uh-huh. you need 90, 95% confidence that, you know, your findings are um, correct. What that actually means is that one out of 20 research papers out there is wrong. Full stop. You, wow. What, just think about it. One out of 20, you pick up a p- stack of 20 research papers, one of them is most likely going to be wrong. But what you're saying <laughs> is that, like, heck, and this is probably true, like, in many industries as well, that not just one out of 20, probably, like, w- one out of five, or one out of four is wrong, like, ba- or, you know, is, is not reproducible. There was an article about, uh, like, a few years ago on uh, Nature, on the, in the Nature magazine that, Repro- like, it's a big issue, this whole frequency statistics um, that we're following that is taught at school with the p-values and so on. It's extremely, like, a lot of the time you can get, like, uh, cause and effect the wrong way around. Um, it's very hard, often, it's easy to run an experiment, but hard to reproduce. It's a it's quite a low standard for research, and the, a lot of uh, people abuse it because that's that's indeed how you get the research funding.
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean they're not they're not wrong and like they're they're working in theory and sometimes also in practice with like massive clusters of uh, GPUs. Uh, it's just like for the proposed use case, like when they in the beginning when they say, oh, like this research could be used for online shopping, blah blah blah. That usually doesn't work. I mean the research works, like the papers work. Um, the use case like, is
0: like it could be used, right? No guarantees
1: right so like one of like the the friend i mentioned for example his first paper he had like a series of papers on like virtual avatars which is like also how he got to work at like the facebook research lab because they're working on that right now like the virtual representation and his first paper uh i was really excited i contacted him about it and he was frank with me that it does work uh, and the results are not as good as we would have needed them but it would it would have been good to like have a starting model but like it, the the way the the time to get the measurements is like an, um it's not a gradient descent, I forgot what it's called. So it, it was not like a deep learning optimization. It was like a um, uh, who, forget the name. Uh, maybe I'll remember it later. But it was a different type of, type of optimization. Like and a just,
0: genetic algorithm or something like that.
1: Um, no, something that's iterative.
0: Uh huh. Okay. Gradient descent, um, the caster gradient descent. Anyway, we can put that in the show. Yeah. Notes. Anyway,
1: um, so uh, it, it just took six hours. So if if the customer would have uh, taken the picture, <laughs> it would have, it would have taken six hours to get the
0: measurement. Oh, you take it before going to bed, and in the morning you have a result.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Don't
0: forget yeah, to like, measure up before going to bed. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's yeah. just not really um
1: yeah so that's that's about but that like i said like that 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 might be very specific to the field of like um i'm not saying that that's true for for example like google released deep lab this image segmentation algorithm and that was a research paper and that actually works pretty well in production but i guess there's a difference between also industry research and uh like academic research yeah
0: yeah that's true like uh, you take the DeepMind papers they they live by them you know they uh yeah that way oh, i watched that video how deep mind what is it uh, uh alpha star you know alpha go beat humans uh-huh. in, in uh go like 2016 april you know since then it's like gone to go alpha go zero which can learn from scratch but now they have alpha star which uh, beats humans in uh starcraft completely wipes them wow. out. It's, it's so beautiful to watch like i i used to play starcraft love the game um, it's uh-huh. Amazing to Sorry. watch these, these humans have no chances they're like they're just like these are the top players in the world in this super complex strategic game with like building units fighting mining minerals having you know three different races and so on micromanaging your units like no chance at all it's just destroying in all like Protoss, Terran, Zerg, whatever like I watch the Protoss games Amazing results, and you know, like you, oh, like if you see those results, then you know the research paper works. Hey, the results are right here.
1: That's brutal, man. Like the guy, the guy who was the top player in Alpha Alpha in, in, in Go, he, he quit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like Leo Sidol, I think. He,
1: yeah, and that's like yeah, that's a pretty t- traditional game in, in China, I believe. And yeah, all of you was doing that most of his life and now he just quit because of free AI.
0: Oh my god. But that was like you know that, that uh that day that or that weekend or week when they were playing? Uh the whole world on um, online stores worldwide sold out of the Game Go. You couldn't buy it anymore because that was that, that game was watched like by tens of millions of people because it's that popular so imagine losing to Whoa. a computer in front of tens of millions of people of course you'd quit poor yeah. guy poor guy
2: <laughs> right
0: <laughs> oh man Girl. yeah okay well good tip very good tip be careful with the latest research um indeed that, and that's a bit i think that's a big learning you were you locked yourself uh, in your room for two months you you know read read all his research papers would have been disappointing to find out that half of them are, like, not really useful because they're not that accurate or reproducible. Yeah,
1: it was, uh, I mean, it, it, it was not like a, it was not like some of these other things, like an aha moment. It was more like a learning over time. Yeah. And, and you still you still trying to stay optimistic uh, about, like, oh, maybe it still works or, uh, yeah, part of it works and you could implement just a part of it because that's always, like, you could take a part of it and just, like, use it as inspiration um, on what not to do or what to do. But,
0: but then um, what do people do? Like, do they do their own research? What would you suggest? How would you have you done this differently? Um,
1: well, I guess, like, the way what we did is um, <laughs> we chose the simplest solution, which ended up working best. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't glamorous. Like, essentially, it used machine learning to, uh, like, image segmentation, to do Im- image segmentation, like, cut the person from the background. And hmm. then detect certain key points. And, uh, yeah, also do edge detection to make sure that it really cuts at the... Because image segmentation is not always really accurate. At least the state of the art that we were using it was, like, a Chinese paper. It actually worked really well. Like, that Chinese paper on humans, um, cutting out, cutting them out from the background works amazingly well. Um, and then, like, having the key points, for example, on the hip, but because it's not pixel accurate, we use like, edge detection um, to, like, then be able to correct the key points also using like a, a deep learning algorithm um but and, and and that was not the most glamorous solution and it was kind of like um like patched together but it worked really well um so oh. i just could go with the could go with was not glamorous <laughs> but what works
0: yeah that's that's the key the
1: funny thing is like look like that's that's the first like that's the first algorithm we came up with hmm and then we still iterated over all these like automated deep learning solutions and then we actually went back to the original algorithm and that. Yeah. It
0: yeah it's like uh uh in russia we we say what do we say um best is the worst enemy of good it's <laughs> <laughs> like you had a good thing <laughs> like you know the 80 20 year old basically right you, you want to yeah
2: yeah exactly.
0: at some point okay okay cool yeah send me a link to the research paper please so we can put in the show notes that chinese one that you said that worked really well maybe people would be interested to read it oh yeah sure okay cool um and learning number five what was that one
1: um yeah so that we can go over that really quick so there's this management methodology called objectives and key results i'll also put the book in the show i think i put the book in the show notes um Mm -hmm so the um it was basically like the management methodology that andy grove brought to intel back in the days intel obviously super successful john Doerr was working there back then venture capitalist he brought it to google and it's how google like ran their operations since like the very beginning so we were like naturally pretty intrigued to like try it out because also like it's pretty big now like linkedin apparently uses it um a lot of the big Silicon Valley companies do OKRs. Um, so we wanted to implement it and we did it from the beginning. It always seemed like a little bit too much overhead, but it was essentially like you set an objective. For example, for us, it would have been like um like one was uh getting to one percent in accuracy. Like that's the objective for the next month, and then setting key results, so essentially like milestones how to get there. So, like, measure 50 people and get their accuracy so we know where we stand right now as a baseline. Um, I don't know, like, whatever you think will get you to that 1%. Um, And then you would have, like, a set of OKRs for your company, um, maybe, like, also raise funding as an objective. um, And then you would, like, mm, narrow that down to the individual level. So the company key results, like... um, measuring 50 people would be for example my objective so i'm in charge for measuring these 50 people and then that aligns with the overall company goal Mm
0: -hmm. um So so the learning was like use OKRs or what was it
1: no the learning was that a lot of like we had a lot of trouble implementing it so like um after like i think eight months or something when we were in la i was so tired of it i just like shot out an email to some of the people that shared their stories in the book. So one of them was like Atticus Tyson from Intuit, he's like the CIO and Brad Kopp, who runs like a education startup called Remind. And they got back to me like the next day. And <laughs> no said like, way. Oh, yeah, like it's crazy. Like we, Sometimes when you just shoot out these emails with very specific questions, um, people help you. They're so willing to Where'd help. Where'd you get and their the-
0: emails in the first place? Oh, it's like a lot of Googling. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> very very um, uh, what's it called um, confident approach you don't know these people you just found their emails online and you're just like oh you know what I'm just gonna send them an email
1: it's also like just like, sometimes it's just like guessing so if i would know Kirill ceo of super data science i want to get to him their uh, support email is help at super
2: science.com
1: <laughs> how many ways are there like your your email is not going to be Kirill baby girl 234 <laughs> it's going to be like carol carol arimenko k Aramenko or Aramenko k oh my like, god like, you're gonna
0: you're hey. gonna ruin me i'm gonna get all these emails now <laughs> <laughs> But you're right. You're so right. I've thought of it so many times. Like, so easy to find people. You know their name. You just... just, And you know the company they work at. Like, oh my gosh. Like, just five variations. Totally right, man.
1: Yeah. Uh, It's very low risk to try it out. It literally takes five minutes. But, like, be (laughs) specific about your questions. That's one thing I learned. Because sometimes I would just, like, shoot out emails to, like, get in touch with people. Yeah. And that's just, like, not the right way. If Uh. someone just asks, you like, out of the blue, hey, can we chat? Like, obviously not. But... If you ask him very specific questions, like also funny thing, like John door, um, he, he's like a very like successful venture capitalist. He was the first to invest in Google. It's like, I think he has a, like a net worth of 3.8 billion or something or even more. Um, but like I saw this video of him online and he was, um, talking to, like he was teaching a startup class and in the end he said like, Oh, um, if you send me your five favorite books, I'll send you mine. And that video was on, like, 2016. And then he gave his email address. Uh-huh. So I, I sent him an email saying, like, hey, John, like, how's it going? Here are my five favorite books. I'll be super intrigued to hear about yours. And then he, he got back to me, like, I think a month later and saying, like, hey, Rico, sorry for the late reply. These are my top five books. Hope you like them. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's
0: amazing, man. Amazing. I,
1: um, yeah, so and okay, so, so learning here is definitely because they both said, uh. OKRs is a lot of overhead and a lot of process for a small startup like an early stage startup so they wouldn't recommend using it. Okay. Um so, so like my learning was like if you if you have believable people that like cuz they were believable cuz they both implement OKRs in their company pretty successfully um so i guess they're believable in OKRs um so if you contact them ask them for advice it'll be Uh, it might potentially save you a lot of time
0: fantastic yeah reach out reach out to people don't be shy find their emails or ask Rico he'll find them for you (laughs) (laughs) amazing (laughs) amazing amazing man well what what a journey I love it how you limited it to five learnings you know it's it's a good number to more than that you would probably be hard to keep them in mind and remember but this is good this is really good um, let's recap them quickly. So, number one uh, was start with a problem in your own life. Number two, what is number two?
1: Oh uh, yeah, stay re- like <laughs> stay relentlessly focused on the end results that have the highest impact on your business strategy.
0: Mm-hmm. Gotcha.
1: Um, then it's not the money; it's the be money. <laughs> <laughs> like, make sure you're worrying about the money a lot because <laughs> it's what keeps you alive that's true yeah. um careful with the latest research
0: and, and reach out to experts in the answer. end very cool very cool i love our discussion uh and um the greeks said had a saying that truth is born in argument so like if we agreed on everything i think it would be um you know i think more insightful the way that we had disagreements along the way and uh you know about you know like points number learnings number two and three and to some extent uh yeah man i really enjoyed this chat it's it's probably one of the longest podcasts but heck it was really good yeah yeah you oh, you also wanted to mention some uh, books right how you pick books
1: exactly yeah so i have this um i have this um so we had the we had this rule and like yeah let's say rule during like running the startup to essentially like um because as in like as as a startup founder you obviously like you know you have like almost like very limited time um li- especially in the beginning when you're just like out of the gate starting something um and like how many books can you read per year maybe like up to 20. I, I don't
0: know 365.
1: <laughs> <laughs> i mean audiobooks are definitely like definitely made easier for me to uh consume more content yeah when you're, like somewhere yeah but like if you just look at books um there's so much noise out there i think there's like 12 million books on amazon i checked when i when i did my own research
2: wow but
1: um like there's you just gotta like have a way to filter that and like first of all i want to say like this doesn't apply to like niches so for example let's say data science you'll have a maybe a hard time to find something that was recommended by someone with the rule. I'm about to mention, but, um, unlike high level business stuff and like startup strategy and so on, um, it's a uh, pretty, like, it's a good filter. So like we filtered, we only read books that were recommended by billionaire founders. Mm. So people who not only build a unicorn, but like, we also became like had a net worth of like over 1 billion on the way. And it seems shallow to only put that down on the like uh, money level, but essentially, like what we believe is that when you when you were able to build a company, like when you be able to become a billionaire with your company, if you look at the list of people, they all build like products that made a like huge, like like massively, like majorly improve the world. And I'm talking about like more, like because I'm more from the tech side. I'm talking about more like tech people here. I'm not, like, that worried about the investors, uh, but more like, like, look at the, like, Mark Zuckerberg, Larry Page, um, like, Bill Gates, Mark Andreessen, Jack Dorsey, Kevin Systrom, like, this whole list of, like, super inspiring people. So we limited it down to only read books that were recommended by them, and it made it so much harder to find, like, books that way,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: um, I recently put together a list on, it's called alicorn.blog. And uh I put like all like books and podcasts that only feature these billionaire founders, and it's still I think it's like almost two hundred three hundred books Wow, so it's still like a vast amount of books and I'm, like that was only like within a weekend that I curated these books, so there's gonna be more to come and it's ridiculous like how much content there still is, but it's very so for example, if you're trying to find a book on marketing um and like you have no idea about marketing and you want to find one um and Drew Houston, the founder of Dropbox, and Joe Gebbia, the founder of Airbnb, recommended like two books. It'll probably be a good idea to read them if they really uh help them succeed with their startup. Um so that's like how, how I um how we selected the books. And um I had like I have like a list of ten here um, that <laughs> yeah. I that I that I read over the last year and mm-hmm. I think it will be really, really useful for people. Um so the one I recently read was called "The Startup of You" by Reid Hoffman. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also recommended by Jack Dorsey and Mark Andreessen. It's like a, about like treating your career like a startup. Mm. Um, I'm not gonna describe what what it's about, but really good book. And there's a book called "The Goal." I don't know if you know it. It's like a like a management novel, basically. And like Jeff Bezos required uh, everyone in Amazon's senior-level management team to read that book whenever they like reach that point. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a really, really good book about this uh, the concept of the critical path. Um, G- give me, me one, one
0: more. more.
1: Um, the power of habit.
0: No, oh, I like that book um, by Charles Duhigg.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. Recommended by Ray Dalio. Really, mm-hmm. really good book.
0: Very cool book. Yeah, man, that's a really cool list. Where, where is it again?
1: i'll i'll, I'll get, uh, put it in the show notes i haven't curated yet but I'll, I'll we can put it in the show notes
0: yeah please and send it to me i will i want to get a few books out of there uh, you know just just for myself to read as well sounds really exciting I will. man yeah. very good we're not gonna go through go through all 10 or 50 <laughs> right <know>. now let's <laughs> not do that <laughs> but let's put them in the show notes so our team will put it put them in there um yeah but like how are you feeling overall like you know um started something spent 10 months in it uh failed Uh, like i asked you at the start of the podcast like are you are you feeling like um world is over (laughs) this is the end of your (laughs) startup uh, life um what's the next step for you
1: um yeah so like obviously when when we first like put on a hole, that was kind of like a little depressed for a couple of days but actually like on the weekend when we did the reflection and like really looked back at it uh it was it was great to see how it's not a personal failure like it's not like I sucked that's why we failed it's like it's a lot of factors coming together so that really gave me confidence um and I mean but back at back at work at um Noble mind for now I definitely like want to start the new year I want to like get more involved like maybe, like, get a different opportunity because I've been there for a while now. I kind of want to, like, uh, move away from Germany. My next step would probably be uh, London because I've, I've been saying I want to go to London for so long and now I'm just going to do it and uh, move there. And, um, yeah, just be more involved with, um, like, actual AI teams that bring products into production. I've been talking to Ben Ben Taylor a lot who has, like, been doing great with his company. So that's been great influence, definitely, to, like... Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: in touch with where the spaces right now cool very um, cool so yeah, i've been working on my project that's a little bit. that's exciting like if if anyone listening is in london make sure to hit up rico uh when are you going to be there
1: um going there probably early january just to like connect with some people and okay then
0: see. so by the time this podcast is out is you're already there so uh if anybody's in london listening to this hit uh, hit rico up and catch up for a uh coffee lunch dinner whatever and you know exchange <laughs> some information always great to grow your network what's the best way to reach you
1: um yeah like like LinkedIn definitely I have a, actually I have a, like a website at huh. So, um, you reach me and yeah but otherwise LinkedIn oh
0: Follow- well, I'm gonna spend some time guessing your email <laughs> 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 I don't know might be Rico at ricomin.com might be me at ricomin.com
2: not There's that probably. many
0: not that many options <laughs> oh man cool cool hack all right well amazing glad uh glad you to hear that it's and it's interesting i agree sometimes this is what i've been telling my brother he's like oh i want to start a business he's only like 23 he's like i'm gonna i'm gonna rock rock the world i'm gonna um be you know like build a big uh, startup and things like that i'm like dude Go, you just finished uni, go and work for a company, get some experience, learn some stuff, like learn from people who are doing it, see how, what it's like to be in a business. Like it's a whole different thing. You get this, I don't know, you just kind of like get the sense of groundedness once you've seen it, not from a, like as you say, fast-paced startup world, but you've seen it done gradually, monotonously, but correctly and progressively in a running business, preferably like a, Mid to end uh, or like late type of startup or even uh, a big enterprise that gives you the sense of like you know what to aim for down the line because if you're running so fast and you don't have a target it's like really hard to run towards a target that's always moving in your head but once you've seen it once you have felt it like you say you want to get some experience in a company that's already like productized that's using ai that's, um, you know, growing. And of course, you're going to bring value to them. But in exchange, you're also going to see what it is you're aiming for. And, and that will always act. I think for me, like working, having worked at Deloitte for two years, always acts as a north star. I know what a proper, right. organized, serious business looks like inside. So as much as I'm having yeah. chaos with my startups, I know where I'm going.
1: I mean, there's also, the, <laughs> I don't, I'm not going to start another like big point here, but um, there's this whole thing of, uh, you know, have you heard this before that some people don't have 10 years of experience, they have 10 times that one year of experience?
0: <laughs> no, uh, I haven't, I think but it sounds pretty good. I think
1: be aware of that like 10 years of experience doesn't mean that that person is 10 times more skilled than someone with one year of experience. Um, I think, it, it, again, like it really depends on the person and what you like, what kind of learnings you take from that.
0: Yeah, that yeah, that's think. true that's true so I
1: I, I, w- I would agree with your point generally but it doesn't apply to everyone
0: yeah yeah no I, I I agree as well um everyone's journey is different it but I'm glad to hear you kind of like you have ideas for you where you want to go next you never know how it'll work out you know like hopefully you'll move to London and see from there what happens um but it's always good to have like like a compass some some di- general direction in which you're going there's there's a saying that entrepreneurs are people who are adamant about their beliefs but they're very easy and willing to change their beliefs in a heartbeat
1: right right i mean you know me like i'm i'm super open i've been talking to uh your partner like um recently he he he's really like uh told me great things about dubai so that's definitely something i was at the startup the ai conference last week in berlin i heard great things about tel aviv uh mm-hmm. I mean i think china would be an interesting experience yeah like, i, I, I I'm, I'm open like I, I really like to go places and um yeah experience different cultures too gotcha so i'm gonna go where stuff is happening which is i think london or something like dubai or tel aviv
0: nice man nice well keep us uh, updated and yeah as i said uh earlier before the podcast would love to have you as a speaker at Data go Berlin. I That'd think be amazing, yeah. yeah man, so that's where people can catch you if anybody's interested in learning more about your story. And meeting you in person, man. It's <laughs> so cool. You're so tall, like you're taller than a blonde. <laughs> it's insane. It's insane, man. Uh all right, my friend. It's been a pleasure. Amazing podcast. Bye. The the world's gonna love this. Thank you so much once again for coming on the show. It's always great. Thank
1: you. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to this super long podcast. really appreciate you staying till the end. And uh, we want to share stuff with you, some really amazing things. So head on over to the show notes at superdatascience.com slash 335. There you will find uh, not only how to contact Rico, but also all of the materials mentioned on this podcast, including the list of books that Rico Uh, mentioned and including a link to the blog post on Medium with Rico's learnings. So if you want to recap on them, you can definitely find them there. What a conversation. I totally, totally enjoyed chatting to Rico and I hope you enjoyed our chat too. And if you are thinking of starting an AI startup, then um, surely, 100%, there's very valuable insights here, very valuable lessons, things that you can already take away and apply in your own journey. If you know somebody who is interested in starting up uh, a company in the space of artificial intelligence, send them this podcast. It might save them a lot of headache down the way. Very easy to send, very easy to share, superdatasense.com slash 335. And, of course, connect with Rico. You heard he's going to be in London at the early in early 2020, connecting with him there. If you live in London, I know we have a lot of people um, listening to this podcast from there. I was there. I met a lot of you guys. Connect with Rico as well. And also, he's coming to Data Science Go in Berlin, which is happening in quarter two 2020. I can't give away much more information than that for now. But if you're gonna be in Berlin in that time, make sure to connect with him as well. And if you see our announcements about DSGO, it'll be very limited. It's the first time we're doing it in Europe, very limited. Make sure to grab your seat because that's a great way to connect with Rico and people like Rico as well. On that note, thanks so much for being here today. I am super grateful that you are part of the Super Data Science community. Can't wait to see you back here next time. Until then, happy analyzing.